If you think of some of the stereotypes of autism that were circulating 20 or 30 years ago, they were pretty shocking if it was talked about at all. So it's wonderful that so much has changed in the way we think and talk about this condition. But for parents, the realisation that your child has autism can still be a shock and it can affect families very differently. Fifteen years ago, Benison O'Reilly and Shauna Smith wrote a book about parenting autistic children. Those kids are now young adults, and O'Reilly and Smith have updated their guidebook for parents, the Australian Autism Handbook, which now includes stories from those living with autism. Uh, Benison O'Reilly, Shauna Smith, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to have you here. Shauna, what was your experience like as a parent of a child with autism, if you can cast your mind back? Well, I can certainly remember very vividly uh, the period around diagnosis. You know, my son was diagnosed at three um, and partly it was slow because I wasn't aware of what normal childhood development was like. And also because we had to wait for a long time um, to get uh, able to have an assessment. Um, Anyway, I can remember it vividly and with a great deal of pain still because it was so scary and so upsetting and my overwhelming feeling was that I did not know what to do for my son and that the professionals I met were not really helping me, certainly not as much as I needed until after that diagnosis and once I had found my own experts. It is heartening to see that so many of the stories in this book are very different from that. Benison Mm. O'Reilly, what about your experience? Was, Was it similar? Yes and no. I'm almost embarrassed. My uh, son on the autism spectrum is my third son. But um, so you think I would have noticed, Shauna at least had the excuse it was her first child. But um, I was just uh, very busy with our lives at the time. And I I, I noticed that his, obviously my husband's a GP as well. We noticed his language uh, was delayed and uh, had a few behaviours. But for a long time, I thought we will turn right. And um, and then it became uh, probably around the age of two, I realised. So I took him to a swimming lesson. I remember and he couldn't understand. I realised he couldn't understand what the instructor was saying. It wasn't just that he wasn't behaving. So uh, we had a year where it was, is, is he autistic or is he not? And then eventually our paediatrician said, you know, as he, around the same as Sean, it was around the age of three, he made the call. Um, he, he wasn't, you know, he wanted to be confident. So he made the call at age three. So, um, yeah, and yes, it was devastating even to hear those words, even though I, at that stage, I certainly knew there was something going wrong with his development. Um, I was probably fortunate that we, my husband's a GP who, and so we had a good relationship with our paediatrician and you might notice I actually dedicated the book to him because he's passed away. He was very kind to us and we actually probably had one of the, a better experience, certainly from that time at, at diagnosis, he really took time to explain things to us. So. Well, and I mean, you, you have boys, but the, the thinking around autism and girls has changed a lot in the last 15 years, hasn't it? Tell us some of the major things we know now, Benison, that we didn't know then? Well, yes. Um, they've, they've always known that autism can affect girls, but they've always been this understanding that it was you know, four to one males to females. Um, but now they're realising that the, the, the girls that we used to be diagnosed were the ones who had more severe symptoms, uh, no language and um, maybe an intellectual disability. Uh, and that they realise that the, all the diagnostic criteria that you talked about, the DSM-5, which you're probably aware of, um, uh, it, uh, it, it looked, when they analysed autistic behaviour, they analysed it in boys, so, of course. So that all the criteria were set around a male um, 
expression of autism, I suppose. So these girls who were missing diagnosis were these girls with, with language and with uh, perhaps more typical intellectual de- development. And so they were just being slipping through the net for years and years. And a lot of them reached teenage years and would be diagnosed with anxiety or depression or eating disorders and all these other, and even personality disorders. And a lot of them didn't, as you probably see in the media a lot, they were receiving their diagnosis as an adulthood after years of distress and not un- people not understanding what was going on. So, yeah, so it was the fact about the criteria wasn't, wasn't geared to look at what's different in girls, like the fact that they uh, usually have better language. Um, they, are they are more like a typical boy in their language, um, much more attuned to social uh, interactions, so therefore more likely to, as they say, mask or mimic. They would watch what other children did and, and copy them. Um, and also their special interests are probably things that, that weren't picked up, like um, they might be interested in novels or um, pop stars or something like that, but in an obsessive way, which looks like a typical girl behaviour, but maybe was extreme and not noticed. So all these things meant that they got missed um, until, to say, but they were later in the teenage years when things become harder for them, social interactions become more complex and that's where a lot of things fall down for them. So it's good that we recognise that now and that the new diagnostic criteria we have, oh, sorry, uh, guidelines we have in Australia actually have a special section in them now to recognise autism in girls. So it's a big advance. Yes, I was reading Karina's story. She's written a really articulate account of, you know, the difficulties that she faced in her late teens and early 20s, uh, anxiety disorder, having to move to the city to study and work and that being really hard for her with the, the big changes, but also her kind of questioning of her gender identity. Benison, gender and sexual diversity is more commonly noted in autistic children and young people. Do we know how that plays or why that is and how it plays out for those kids? Well, I don't think they entirely know why. Um, There is this different sense of self. Some people say that their concept of self is different. um, But uh, the other thing, they're less concerned about social norms. um, So they're less concerned about what other people think. My son certainly is that way, even though he's not gender diverse. So, yeah, I think it's still a a mystery to us at the moment. But it certainly is the case that um, that they are gender diverse people much more likely identify as being on the autism spectrum. So um, it's something that we have mentioned in the book. Um, the book is geared towards an appearance often of young children, but we, um, because of some of these cho- children are now um, coming to their parents when they're age 10 or that early, uh, early um, pre- you know, prepubescent saying that I'm, I'm gender diverse, we said to alert parents of that this is a possibility and how they deal with that will be, you know, it's, it's another factor. And as we say in the book, you know, this is another completely different thing and that needs to be dealt with with specialists in this area as well. These are, you've got a child now who's got two vulnerabilities, I suppose. Vulnerabilities in the social sense, I mean, that, you know, they're, they're both think, challenging things to navigate in our uncompromising world, I suppose. So, but yes, we're not quite sure why that is and I guess it's an area of research I suppose. Yeah uncompromising is a really great Mm. description of how the Mm. world often reacts to difference. We're speaking with Benison O'Reilly and Shauna Smith who are co-authors of the Australian Autism Handbook which has been helping parents and families living with autism for a long time and on its 15th anniversary it's been updated to reflect some of the big big changes that have happened not just in the way we think and talk about autism but in the ways we treat it and Shauna, you interviewed at least 30 new parents for this book as well because of one big change that's happened, the NDIS. How has that changed people's lives? 
Well, my my feeling is that it's changed people's lives for the better enormously. Um, and I know that parents might not feel that when their child's first diagnosed and they have to first start interacting with the NDIS because it is a large monolith um, and it's got its own way of doing things and you need to do certain things before you can or your child can be accepted as a participant. Nonetheless, once you get over the hump of becoming as expert as you can in it, it means that your child can have funding for the services and the supports that they need. Um, and that it is family centric, you know, it's up to the family and the treating professionals to work out what will work best for that individual child. So I had to talk to lots of people because, of course, the NDIS wasn't around when my son was young. And um, it was very much a matter of who could afford to get plenty of treatment or the recommended treatment. Now it isn't. And the other most excellent thing about it is that your child, if they're young, they don't need a full, a full diagnosis, which can be lengthy time uh, to get. They can actually start with the early childhood approach, which is excellent. But I had no experience of that myself. So I went to the experts who were the parents so that I could um, write the sort of bare bones of getting started with the NDIS, but they could put in their experiences of what we do. And I just feel that parents seeing exactly what their children get. For example, we have a lovely mum called Aisha who um, sent me messages and we've got them in a book. David has funding for therapies under capacity building. He attends fortnightly OT sessions at school for fine and gross motor music therapy, social skills. So in the chapter on the NDIS and throughout the book, there are um, little explanations of what individual families do. And I think that gives more help to other families than reading the hard facts about it. You know, there's nothing like a bit of parent-to-parent contact. And since I couldn't give my own expertise, I got all these wonderful, wonderful kind parents to share their expertise. Well, and I do love how varied those those uh, stories are too, Shauna. So there's, you know, Talia's mum, Courtney, who found it completely smooth sailing. But then mm. Amanda had to end up at the tribunal to haggle for yep. what she felt her daughter needs. And people talking too about how grateful they were about those supports, but how it is quite a confronting process, isn't it? Having to sit oh, down yes. with the, the consultant and go through all the ways that your child finds it difficult to be in the world. Oh, look, it's very confronting. And I think that reading other parents say this is not an easy process. This is upsetting because we still have at the moment a deficit based approach to um, diagnosis and to getting what they need. So, um, you know, you tend to be looking at what your child is struggling with or where they need support. But I really think it's so important for parents to Think about their child's strengths and remember they're the same child they've always been. So, um, you know, if your child loves running and climbing up trees or cycling or swimming or whatever they love, they still love that. And there are many, many strengths um, in autistic people. And of course, now my son was diagnosed 20 years ago. So I have watched that um, and I have certainly seen the strengths that he has socially And with people, he's so kind and he never tells lies and he never gossips about people, very non-judgmental. And also I've seen him in the workplace being, uh, you know, a good employee and the kind of strengths that he has, a lot of people don't have. He's got strengths I don't have in the workplace. 
Yeah, I I loved reading some of those. We wanted to share that. We wanted to share that it's not the end of the world. You will be okay. It's just that you're at the beginning of learning a lot about your child. My favourite story was Charlie, who's 15, and he talks about it. Yeah, he knows his autism is special and that others can learn a lot from him. And there are challenges with his schoolwork, sure, but he knows he has people who can help him and he makes art and he sells it online. It's really great to hear uh, those stories balanced against the stories that we hear about, you know, yeah, deficit and people not getting the support Mm -hmm. that they they need. Uh, Benison Mm -hmm. O'Reilly, understand, though, that there's been very little change since the the book first came out in 2008 in medical treatments for autism. There are new clinical guidelines now. Will that help that situation, do you think? Uh, The guidelines are more um, sort of uh, social supports. Uh, They're very, uh, they've been written certainly much in mind with the neurodiversity perspective. I know the people involved in writing them. So it's more about providing supports, um, which can be around, you know, uh, therapies as well, but also supports in the the areas of schooling and uh, in the community as well. So they're very very much a a support-based guidelines um, providing um, therapists and uh, professionals a way to appropriately um, work with the autistic people. As far as the medical treatments goes, yeah, yes, I mean, as far as it, um, the, the sort of like non-drug-based interventions, there has been some change in the, in the sense that there are a lot of there's, we have a lot of parent-based uh, um, therapies now, where the parents are the main um, uh, therapists in a way, that, but because the parents learn. They, they teach the parent how to communicate better with their child and, and so they can start very early even before diagnosis and so they can if the parent learns because that's a real problem when you're at, at the early stage if you can't engage your child because of their autism you feel like you're an, a failure as a parent and and so um and also the child's not learning because they're not interacting they might know how to imitate so if we can teach parents that in those early stages how to engage their child which it, it, it is possible um with you know expert tuition um that's that sort of trajectory sets them on a great trajectory for the later of their life so that's a big, big area where there has there is a change as far as the, uh of those sort of um non-drug therapies as far as drug therapies goes as you say like i, I i'm a pharmacist by trade and so I, like it's pretty much nothing's changed <laughs> since i wrote the book in 2008 we still don't have any um any sort of magic miracle drug cures um for autism or we just have the things that sometimes people need um, um, you know, um, man- behavioural management, they might be on some sort of rather nasty um, antipsychotics. They, they do work, but they have side effects. And um, ADHD medicines, of course, because there's a very common co-occurrence of ADHD and autism. My, my, my son has that, so he's on medication for ADHD, which works well for him, I have to say. But yes, but no miracle drug cures have come out in, in those 15 years. There's still research going on, but um, do we want a cure is the other thing, of course, we want to say as well. So so I think basically all I had to update was the fact that we have got a bit of uh, research around melatonin helping with sleep, and that was all that was really changed in those ah. uh, 15 years. So, yeah. Certainly helps some families. And as you say, I mean, mm. there's a discussion about the different effects on different people and families and mm. whether autism is something that you can celebrate aspects of uh, mm. sometimes as well. Just to finish up with Shauna Smith, there's yeah. a section with comments that really aren't helpful and some that really <laughs> are. Can you tell us some of the more helpful ways to talk to families in this situation? 
Well, the main thing I think to say is not to assume that you know what autism is. You know, if you've met one person with autism or child, you've met one and say to them, how does this show itself in your child? And then get to know the child. What do they love? What do they not love? Do they have sensory sensitivities? And it, it's very, very individual. Um, but the main thing is not not to say, well, he looks all right to me because it's <laughs> yeah. the worst thing you can say. And also not to talk about your own people that you know with autism because every child is individual and every family deserves care and understanding as they navigate this. And then people deserve support as much as they need. So some people and some families will need a great deal of support throughout life. They might have very significant co-occurring issues um, and other people with the right conditions can live, you know, a normal life, whatever a normal life is. I've definitely given up on any <laughs> thoughts that that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a new kind of normal. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's been fascinating looking at some of these changes. Thank you so much for sharing some of your stories and all the best for whatever the future holds. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Thanks. Benison O'Reilly and Shauna Smith, co-authors of the Australian Autism Handbook. The updated edition is available now. Some things have changed a lot, some things not so much. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.